Hello, this is Christy Amira Harfouche, and you're listening to the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. We have a message for you today from Reverend John Harfouche. For more information, live broadcasts, and video teachings, connect with us online at globalrevival.com and join us every week for the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Turn with me to the epistle of Thessalonians, the first one. Hallelujah. How many of you are a part of the family of God? How many of you are members of the body of Christ? That makes each and every one of us in this place and around the world one body, one people, one nation, one family. And that connection is just as strong, it's actually more strong, than any natural, familial, national, or blood connection that any person can have. Because when you were joined to Christ, you were joined to his body. And so if you believe what the gospel says, which is that you have been born again, that your previous lineage has been swallowed up, that you died, that you were crucified with Christ, and that you were risen with him. But the life that you now live in the flesh is his life in you. You have been born again, and you are no longer earthy. Your source is from heaven. In order for you to believe that, You have to believe that the supernatural is more real than the natural. You have to believe that what God did in you when he joined you to himself is more real than any natural matter or genetics or borders. It's it's a requirement. I know that maybe it hasn't been stated to you in that way before, but... Now that it has, you know that it's true. Because if you believe more in the things of the natural, then you don't believe in the new birth. Your born again status is not a check mark that goes on your earthly birth certificate. It is a new birth certificate. That old man is dead. That old nature is dead. And so you must believe that the supernatural is more real than the natural. And, of course, that should be no difficulty to believe when you know who God is. And you know that everything that appears was made of those things which do not appear. That every natural thing was spoken into being by God. And so if the natural, if the material was created by the word of God, then the word of God is higher and more real and more true than any natural thing that was created by it. And so when God says what he says in his word, it is declared. It is the truth. It cannot be revoked. Hallelujah. Now, how many of you know and believe that 
the Bible is the word of God. So how many of you are ready to receive what is the truth this morning? So if you believe that the supernatural is above the natural, then you understand that the nations that are with us, the members of the body of Christ all over the world, whether you know them, whether you ever know them, are more so your blood relatives than your natural blood relatives. They are your family, your nation, your people, and those bonds are stronger than any natural, natural bond. You can't have it both ways. You either believe that the supernatural is more relevant than the natural or you don't. You either believe that when you were born again, you became a part of a body or you don't. The Bible speaks about the church and Christ and it describes them through the metaphor of a husband and wife. Jesus said that a husband and wife become one flesh and what God has put together, let no man put asunder. And so in Jesus's estimation, in Jesus's teaching about marriage, marriage being under the authority of God is above any earthly authority, any earthly government, any man, any person in the earth. There's no natural authority that could make someone the authority over marriage because those two becoming one is something God did. And in the same way, we are described as being joined to Christ. And so we are flesh of his flesh. We are bone of his bone. We are one with him. And no man can put asunder, no earthly authority can put asunder what God did when he won us to himself. Hallelujah. That is how the church is described. And if you're one body with Christ, and I'm one body with Christ, then you're one body with me. And that reality is more real than any earthly or natural situation. Because all of this will pass away. But, but we will always be with the Lord. We will be evermore with the Lord. So you better get used to me. Because you're never going to get rid of me. For all eternity. We will be together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we're part of a family. We are part of a body that is more than organizations or denominations. It is more than nations. It is more than genetics. It is more than any type of affiliation that can exist on this earth. And so there is no affiliation that is above that affiliation. There is no authority that is above that authority. That is what you became a part of when you were born again, when you were baptized into the body of Christ. Hallelujah. 
It wasn't just you being forgiven and being cleansed so that you, as an individual by yourself, could go and be with the Lord after you pass on. It was you becoming a part of the body of Christ. It was you being joined to God and joined to the whole family of God in the earth. The whole body of Christ in heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Just a little bit of preparation for what we're talking about this morning. We're going to start reading from chapter 1, just the introduction to Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know who Paul is. And uh, you know who Timotheus is. Timothy is a son of Paul. The epistles to Timothy were written to him. He was appointed as the bishop of Ephesus. He traveled with Paul, wrote with Paul, was sent by Paul uh, many places. He was a son of Paul. Silvanus also uh, called by the name Silas, was a man of God who uh, some of the traditions record was one of the 70 who was sent out by Jesus. And so you have Paul, uh, who was called, obviously, after uh, the resurrection, and Timothy, who was won to Christ by him, his son in the faith. And Silas, or Silvanus, who walked with the Lord. The first time that we see Silas uh, operating is when, is when him and Judas Barsabas are sent from the church of Jerusalem to the church of Antioch with Paul and Barnabas to essentially celebrate with them, to deliver the message that the uh, way that the Gentiles were being taught by Paul and by Barnabas was righteous and accepted by the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent, uh, approved, they sent named, they sent known ministers from the church of Jerusalem to confirm to the church of Antioch the righteousness of what they were being taught, the uprightness of what they were being taught. And Silas, also called Silvanus, just like you have Paul and Saul, uh, is two different language names. It's like me, I'm John, but Juan or Johanna or something like that, right? Silvanus is the Latin and Silas is the Greek, just like Saul is Hebrew and Paul is the Greek. Silas, Silvanus, stayed at Antioch and ministered. And when Paul went on his second missionary journey, he took Silas with him. And so he, is, he was with the church before Paul. He traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey. And he continued with the church. This is an important individual. Peter speaks about him in his epistle as well. This is someone that dwelled with the church, that worked in the church, that did the work of the ministry for a great many years. Timothy the same. Timothy 
uh, was a bishop in the church all the way up until 97 AD when he was martyred, Timothy. He was a, a man of God. He was a bishop appointed by Paul, and he was a leader across many churches in Asia. And, and of course, we have Paul. And so Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of God, excuse me, and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So that you are ensamples, you are examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Now he speaks about how the Thessalonians had faced a lot of persecution from the pagans. The Thessalonian Christians had faced a lot of persecution from their brethren in the blood, in the earthly blood, after they became a part of the family of God. And they were continuing to be persecuted by the pagans in uh, Thessalonica, right? But what Paul is talking about here, Paul and Silas and Timothy are writing to the Christians in Thessalonica and saying, we're, we're praising the Lord, we're always remembering you in our prayers, remembering your faith and remembering your purity before the Lord. And we came not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Ghost, and you became followers of us, and you know who we were in your presence. You recognize how we lived, how we ministered when we were with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this letter, uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Now, jumping forward a little bit, he speaks a lot about different things that we don't have time to read the whole book, but you should read it. Uh, How many of you know that the things that were written to the churches in the first century are still 110% relevant to the churches in the 21st century. The same types of challenges, the same things that we see happening in the church then, we see happening in the church now. See, the devil doesn't have any new strategies. He, he, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. He is just every generation trying to get away with the same old, same old that he has brought against the church in the past. How many of you know that uh, the word of God says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge? The devil will do everything in his power to rob you of the power that God has for your life. 
to rob you of the supply and the blessing and the answers that God has for your life. His goal is to make you subservient to these natural things, to these material things. His goal is to keep you oppressed by the world around you instead of recognizing that you are rulers in this world. That the church has its own economy. That the church has its own authority. That the church is above any principality or power that exists on this earth. And so the devil, he is not afraid of... Uh, he's not afraid of the form of things. He's not afraid of you, let's say, coming to a building and sitting in a chair and hearing someone talk about the Lord. He's afraid of the power that is in those things. And so if he can't stop you from observing the form, he will try to rob it of its power. He will try to take out of it its effectiveness in your life by deceiving you about what it is and what is available to you. And that's why there's no new strategies with the devil. It's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. But what do we see here? Paul is speaking about being uh, ready and in faith For the day of the Lord, right? How many of you are in faith for the day of the Lord? How many of you believe that he's coming soon? He says in chapter 5 and verse 11. I'll give you a moment. When you're there, say amen. amen. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as ye also do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves." Now, this is near the end of the letter when Paul and, of course, Silvanus and Timotheus are closing out and giving some closing instructions to the church. And they deliver this particular instruction that could be very confusing to many Christians today who do not believe that there is anyone over anyone. Who do not believe that there is any people who you can know working among you because it's just the Holy Spirit that's working among you because they follow no man because they don't believe in any type of distributed gifts or authority because they don't believe in the church. They believe in the remission of sins and that's where it all ends. They don't believe that they and everyone else, not truly, have been joined to God. At least not yet. Because there's a distrust for their brothers and sisters in the Lord that would not be there if you recognize that that person was joined to God. Why do you think that the Lord said, if you do anything for the least of these, you're doing it for me? 
Because when you are a, a member of the body of Christ, I don't mean member like member of an organization. I mean member like a limb. Because that is the word being used. Your members are the parts of your body. Don't be confused because of the English language. So if you are a member of the body of Christ, then when something is done to you, whose body is that being done to? Now, I'm not saying that so that you can be lifted up in pride. Because if anybody recognizes the, the way that the first century Christians were, that is not how they acted. That is not how they behaved. Now, we're instructed to pray for our enemies, to do good to those who uh, don't, that misuse us, that try to fight against us. Everybody that does the worst possible things to us, we are called to minister to them. So I'm not saying that so that you can get an attitude and be like, excuse me, you cut me, you cut Jesus off in traffic. How dare you? May the Lord strike you down. You did not turn on your blinker before you turned. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But how many of you know that there's a difference between non-believers doing something against the body out of ignorance and believers doing something against the body because in their hearts, they don't believe that body is real. They don't believe that that new birth changed something. They don't believe that that Christian they're talking to is joined to Christ. Paul said that he fought against the body, but he did it out of ignorance. That the Lord forgave him because he did not know that he was the chief among sinners because he fought the body of Christ, because he fought against the Lord. That made him the chief among sinners, and it made him an example that the Lord would set apart so that everybody that came to the Lord would know if Paul the murderer could be saved, then I can be saved. But if that activity as an ignorant person in the world made Paul the chief of sinners, then how much more does doing that as a Christian who should know better that, that, listen, listen, we gotta, we, do we believe the word of God or do we not? Are we the ones who have received the faith or are we not? We are. We know what the word of God says. But sometimes you got to get your attention drawn to it a little bit. So this body, this family, this people is a real thing. It is more real than anything else. It is the body of the one who created everything else. If you have been joined to Christ and all things that exist, exist by him, then what is more important? Anything or that connection? Can there be anything more important than that in your life? And should you recognize that your brother and sisters in the faith, even when they err, they are fellow members of that body. That their connection with you is stronger than blood. 
that their connection with you is stronger than being members of the same local church. That their connection with you is something that no man can put asunder. And so, when someone does something stupid in the church, or says something wrong, you help them. You help them, right? The, 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 the word of God says when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. It says when one part of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices. This reality that we live in as Christians, we have to be mindful of it. Because if we're not mindful of it, we will not reap any benefit from it. If we do not believe and receive what the Lord has delivered to us, it will not get any kind of harvest in our lives. And in fact, what we see with certain things that were received from the Lord, like the communion, is if we do not rightly esteem those things, then the result will actually be a negative in our life. So who do you think... Who do you think wants the church to not believe in the church? Who do you think wants the church to not believe that they are really all members of the body of Christ? Your adversary, the devil. Listen, if he can if 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 you won't get off the member role of a local congregation and he can't get you off of that, then he'll be happy to make you believe that the body of Christ is just a metaphor. That that church that you come to is just an earthly organization made by people who you happen to like. Because if he can do that, he can rob that ministry, that divine institution of the capability to reap a harvest in your life. See, the devil has been working overtime for all of Christian history to change the church from a body that you are baptized into, into a place where you attend. People come to hear about God from some other people and then weigh their opinions and, and weigh what they preach and see if it's convincing and you know maybe they can get something that they can take back to their life, to their walk with God. They look at the church as a school. They look at the church as a, as a TED Talk. They look at the church as some kind of place where they can go to learn something to go apply to their life. But they don't look at the church like a body. They don't look at the church like a family. And that is to their detriment. Because without a recognition of what the new birth is, how can you receive any supply, any power from the new birth? It's the exact thing that the apostles warned us against. People having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You've got the trappings of what the Lord delivered, but what's on the inside isn't there. You're following the, uh, 
the rubrics, you're following the things you're supposed to do. You might even be tithing and coming to church every Sunday, but on the inside, you don't know the power of that thing that you're doing. You don't know. And it's not, it's not because the word is not clear. It's not because the gospel is not simple. It's not because it's not there in plain black and white and red in the Bible that each and every Christian carries that we can Google and search and look up and do all kinds of things. We got the Greek, we got the Hebrew, we got all kinds of helps that have been made over the last 2,000 years. It should be really easy to understand at this point. We got translations for every type of slang We got, you know, paraphrases. We've got everything. It's not that it's not clear in the Word of God. It's very clear. It's through all, throughout all the teachings of the apostles. It is because the enemy has lied to the people of God. There has been a misinformation campaign against the church for generations to try to tear us apart. We know that a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. What about a kingdom where the people in it don't even know there is a kingdom? What about a kingdom where the people in it are now convinced that the kingdom is a thing in the future that doesn't exist yet? Who think that salvation is a ticket to a ride that's going to happen in the future? It's a reservation to a dinner in heaven. Rather than a transformation. Rather than a unification with the body of Christ. So why is this the direction to the church? They, he, they tell the church, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. And so there are obviously specific individuals that are laboring among them. The word labor is... It's a very strong word here. It's not just like work. It's like hard work. It's the people that work hard. They labor. They struggle among you. Right? And are over you in the Lord. Over you. There's nothing wrong with that. uh, Despite the way that people react to any type of authority in, in the modern world. The, the, word, the word over is perhaps translated a little softly, in fact. The word is, is proistemi, which means to set or place before or above. It is a very similar word to the word that's used when Jesus appointed the twelve. It's very similar to ordination. It is usually translated rule. Not just over, but rule. Uh, As an example, and just so you don't think I'm talking about some kind of tyranny, how many of you uh, have families? How many of you believe that children are supposed to respect their father and mother? How many of you know that that's what the the Bible teaches? Right? The word is used uh, to describe... 
when it's talking about the requirements of a bishop, one that ruleth over his own house. Because how, it's describing the requirements of a bishop, and it says that he has to have his children obedient. He has to rule over his house well. Because if you can't rule over your own house, how can you rule in the house of God? Now, I don't know how, uh, you know, free your home is, but I have a hard time believing that most Christians uh, give their children the level of authority that they ex- that in their house that they expect to have in their church. If you were like, you know, as long as you live under my roof, you follow my rules. And then you get to church and you're like, I follow no man. Then your whole worldview is inconsistent. Now listen, we don't teach that parents should be abusive or tyrannical or anything like that. How many of you know that a man of God who is a father can minister to his family? They do not oppress their family. They lead their family. They follow the example of Jesus. They follow... How many of you want to be led by God? How many of you don't believe you're being oppressed by God? So there is a leadership. There is a rule. There is an authority that is a thing that lifts people up, not pushes them down. That's what leadership is. Leadership strengthens people. Leadership makes people stronger. It edifies people. It helps people achieve things that they could not achieve on their own. Because that leader has more experience, more knowledge, and in the case of the church, divine direction to lead. And so when that leader exhorts, When that leader admonishes is the word that's here. That leader rebukes. It's not out of some kind of human pride. It's not out of the activity of the flesh. Paul's not into that. Paul is not a fan of people being full of themselves. He is very clear that he is full of God and not himself. Hallelujah. He says, he says you, you know the situation involving Apollo, that there was division in the church because there was people saying, well, I'm Apollo's student and I'm Paul's student. And they were disputing with each other because they had a personal preference for a particular preacher. And Paul said, I planted, Apollo's watered, but the Lord provided the growth. That... You should not be obsessed with that because you're looking after the things of the flesh. So it's obvious that what those people were doing was not what Paul is directing the people to do in Thessalonians. Paul told the people of God, follow me as I follow God. The beginning of Thessalonians, he says, you became followers of us and followers of God. How many of you, leader, follower, leader, follower, you get the... Right? And so it's not leadership that is the problem. 
Because every Christian should recognize that the only people that they should give credence to are those that the Holy Ghost is working with. That it is about the power of God, the confirmation of God. And so you to, it's the gift on the person. It's the call on the person that you respect. The Bible says to covet earnestly the best gifts. You want some of that. Not because you want your name to be made great, but because you want his name to be made great. That's what coveting earnestly is. It's not about achieving some kind of power for you. It's about preaching the gospel. It's about saying, I want that so that I can spread the word of God to the nations of the world. Not, I'm in this, I'm sitting under this ministry until I can grab a hold of a piece of that mantle so that I can go make a ministry for myself. But because I recognize that I am a co-laborer, that we are all part of one family, one body, there is no ministry for yourself. There is just the Great Commission. There is no church for yourself. There is just the church. There is just the body of Christ. And that should excite you because we're not alone. That should excite you because you are not alone. Not a single one of us can reach this whole world and raise this whole world and serve this whole world no matter how hard we try and no matter what kind of technology that we have. There are great men of God throughout history that are called doctors of the church because they taught something to the whole church. But how many of you know that a dead man can't pastor you? Now listen, I know they're not dead. They're with the Lord. But a person with the Lord can't pastor you either. Because if there's a person who's with the Lord, who's talking to you and pastoring you, do you need to get in church and get delivered? Or get some medication? Get help somewhere. Right? That's not how it works. In fact, we see exactly how it works here. Because they say, he, they say at the beginning of Thessalonians, you recognize us. You recognize us and who we were among you. You recognize, know them which labor among you, is what he says at the end. At the beginning, they say, right? As ye know, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And so they begin the letter by saying, you know us. You know me, Paul. You know Silvanus, right? You know Timotheus. You know that we were ministers among you. You know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. We know you minister. You know we ministered among you. And at the end of the letter, he says, we beseech you to know them which labor among you and are over you. Not speaking of themselves, not reminding them again of who they are, but speaking of those who have been appointed and who have been raised up by God in 
Thessalonica, who are there now at that time. Prior to this letter, Timothy was sent to check on the church. And he came back to Paul with a good report. They had faithful men of God, empowered by God, leading the church there. And so he says this because the importance is that next generation of those who are laboring among them, of those who are raising up disciples, of those who struggle, not for their own sake, but for their sake. Those who lead, not for their own name but because they care about the people of God and they don't want to see the people of God fall prey to the things of this world. Hallelujah. Go with me, go with me to Timothy. Let's look at, let's look at the epistle to Timothy. Timotheus is here with Paul, right? In, in the first epistle of Timothy... And in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So Paul states right here that his apostleship was by the commandment, right? By the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I, meant, when I went into Macedonia. So Paul is referencing Timothy was appointed as a, the bishop of Ephesus. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Hallelujah. So what do you see here? You see Paul appointed Timothy. He He had him stay in Ephesus to make sure that there was no one coming into the churches and preaching things other than the gospel. And this highlights why it is important to know them that labor among you. Why it is important to pay attention to that. Listen, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy and Mark and Luke... And Jude, there's a great many people who, whose writings we read today, who we believe unequivocally were empowered by God to speak into and teach the church, to put on record what is the gospel, who were not of the twelve. Part of that lie, part of that that. That misinformation, that image of, that alternative image of the church 
that's presented by the devil and those who don't know any better is this image of, okay, the authority structure of the church is Jesus, the 12, and then everybody else. And the 12 are all with the Lord now, so it's just everybody else. And Jesus is up there too. How many of you recognize that that's a thing? There's, there's people that when they picture the authority in the church, they think of the 12 and Jesus. And then they think of everybody else, but the 12 and Jesus are in heaven now. So everybody's just on their own. That's their expectation of what happens in the body of Christ. But how many of you know that is not what you see in the Bible? That is not what you see occurring in the Bible. First of all, Paul is not one of the twelve. But no Christian worth his salt, pun intended, uh, will question that Paul is an apostle. Then Barnabas is an apostle. You know Barnabas? Barnabas was a man of serene who was led by God to sell his property and to give all of the money to the church. And he started a revival of giving by that action. He started a revival of giving and that revival freed up the Christians in Jerusalem so that they could get out of the city before the destruction of Jerusalem. That movement prepared the people of God to be mobile so that they could take the planet. And the Lord made that happen through the gift of one man. Because one man was faithful in that offering. The whole church was prepared to take the world. But Barnabas' call didn't end there. When Jerusalem heard about the the, uh, Gentiles getting saved in Antioch, They sent Barnabas. And Barnabas picked up Paul. Barnabas was like, I know a guy. So he went and got Paul and brought Paul. And they're there at the foundation of the church of Antioch. And then you see Barnabas and Paul together when the prophets and teachers, the leaders at Antioch, are led by the Holy Ghost to lay hands on them and separate them unto the call that the Lord had called them to. And so, look at the family. Look at the connection. Paul didn't even do anything on his own. Barnabas was sent. Barnabas got Paul. Paul and Barnabas founding the church at Antioch, right? But then Paul and Barnabas laid hands on by the prophets and teachers in the church of Antioch, sent as apostles, so that all the work that they did as apostles were souls won to the church, were people baptized into the body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Paul and Paul directs Timothy to stay at Ephesus. You see throughout the epistles to Timothy the directions that he gives about how to deal with the elders in the church, the overseers in the church, right? And how, how big of a deal was this concept to the apostles? Well, when, when, they ta- when he talks about in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy what the requirements are for the office of the bishop, right? That word means overseer. I'm sorry, but there's no way you can understand that word where it's not somebody in charge. 
The word episcopo, where we get the word bishop, is literally overseer. The one who is in charge, right? This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So it's not pride to want to lead in the church because leadership in the church is not about elevating you. Leadership in the church is a struggle. It is a labor. It is a work. Not because it's hard because the Lord gives you the power to do it. But because you have to be dedicated if you're going to help people, if you're going to lift people up, if you're going to strengthen people, you have to be someone that is a giver, someone that is going to pour out of everything that the Lord gives them. How many of you know when you're faithful in the least is when God makes you faithful over much? There's no point in which he makes you unfaithful over much. He won't give you much to be unfaithful over. He will only give you much to be faithful over. Hallelujah. A bishop then, and he goes through, we won't go through all of it, but you know the requirements of a bishop, right? But one of the last things that he lists for the bishops is, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. How many of you know that word without doesn't mean poor people? It doesn't mean he must have a good report of those that are without because they don't have. No, the word without is exothen. It means the people outside. Who are they? People that are not members of the body of Christ. And so there is a doctrinal There is a clear distinction drawn between those that are within and those that are without. There is a distinction drawn. And the reason that he should have a good report from those that are without is, you know, so that they don't bring up charges against him. They talk about in other parts of the Bible. Uh, You can see a great many men of God who had a good report with the non-Christian people in their communities as well. But even so, there's a distinction between those that are within and those that are without. The apostles were so strong about this. You don't have to go there, but how many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians? In chapter 6, Paul says, dare any of you. And, and the translation in most of the modern, more modern translations is, how dare you? How many of you don't want a letter from Paul that says, how dare you at the beginning of a sentence? How dare you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? If the world shall be judged by you, Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? How strongly do the apostles believe in the distinction between the people of God and the people of the world when he is admonishing them for bringing their issues with each other into a worldly court for the unjust and the unrighteous to judge as if they are under the authority 
authority of the world instead of the judges empowered by God. And he doesn't say it like it's novel, like no one else ever thought of it. He said, how dare you? Know ye not that she shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. And, and a clearer translation of that, explain what he's talking about. He's saying, do you set as judges the people who are of least esteem in the church? The people whose actions and activities are reviled in the church. He's talking about sinners and unbelievers. He's talking about Christians having issues with each other. And instead of recognizing the authority of the church and the reality of the church and the nation that they are a part of, go to a secular court as if a secular court is a higher authority. How many of you know that's a radical position that Paul is espousing there by all modern estimations? How many of you know that's a person who believes very strongly in the reality of the body of Christ? Someone who's offended that members of the body of Christ would go outside of the body of Christ in order to resolve a dispute. Is that clear enough for you? Is that strong enough for you? Most of the warfare that the church deals with comes from without the church. It comes from outside the church. But the door is wide open for it because Christians go outside the church to find their authority. When they want to find out what they should think about a certain subject, they find a politician. They find a public speaker. They find a teacher, a professor, a secular writer. They seek the world when they're looking for an authority on the subject instead of coming to the church who are the real authority in the earth. That's just the gospel. I'm sorry if the gospel is radical, but there's a reason it turned the whole world upside down. There is a reason that it turned the whole world upside down. Hallelujah. That's what the apostles show us about what the church is. You should be ashamed to esteem an earthly authority higher than the authority of the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. The, when you want to have an answer on something, the people you should be seeking are the church. That's why it's important to know those who labor among you. That's why it's important to know who you can go to. See, the people in the first century knew that when someone came to them and told them something wild that they haven't heard before, something that didn't sound like what they were taught by the apostles, they could go to Timothy. Timothy passed away in 97 A.D. 
right? That's 30 something years, about 30 years almost to the year after Paul passed away. So for 30 years, everybody trained by Paul could say, I know who I can talk to to confirm what it was that Paul taught. I know who Paul commissioned to stay in Ephesus and make sure that people weren't teaching unbiblical things. Paul said to the Galatians, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Because unauthorized, not called by God, people came in with something other than the gospel and tried to lead the church in Galatia astray. Thank God the Galatians knew who labored among them. Thank God they had a father like Paul who could be like, that ain't God. Stop what you're doing right now because that ain't God. And no Galatian who knew what they were doing went, well, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. No, they knew. They knew. It wasn't just the 12 operating in the church in that period in history. You know there's the 70. You know there's the 500. The Lord appeared. And the the way the Bible describes it is he appeared to people who it was determined beforehand that he would appear to. They were chosen people, those 500. That was not all of Jesus' disciples. They were chosen people. And when Paul talks about it, Paul says... Many of them are still with us today, though some have fallen asleep. So if you are in the church, you could know those that labored among you that saw Jesus after his resurrection. You could know those who were appointed by Paul, who were appointed by the apostles. You could know who Silvanus was and who Barnabas was, who Timothy was, who Titus was, who Phoebe was, the deaconess Phoebe. You could know who Priscilla and Aquila were. Right? They were with the Lord before Paul was. You could know who Junia and her brother Adronicus were. You could know those who labored among you. And there's a host of men and women of God in the early church who did great things, who have been put on record for all time as examples for the church. But all of those people are with the Lord now. And how many of you know that the Lord said he would never forsake us? He would never leave us. That he would always be here How many of you know that none of those men and women passed on without raising up disciples and establishing them as leaders, as pillars that people knew they could go to to confirm what was the word of God, to confirm what was the word of God, to keep out the things of the outside world. People from outside were always causing problems. How many of you know the dispute between Antioch and Jerusalem where Paul and Barnabas needed to go to Jerusalem and resolve it was not caused by anyone from officially Antioch or Jerusalem. There were some people that came from Jerusalem that were not sent by Jerusalem who started causing problems in the church of Antioch. Just some people who took it upon themselves to take issue with the leadership even though they were given no authority to do so. 
They weren't speaking on anybody's behalf but their own. But it caused enough of a problem that Paul and Barnabas had to go to Antioch, had to go to Jerusalem and straighten it out. And what did Jerusalem do? They sent back Silvanus and Judas Barsabas, who were approved by the church, to come and declare that what Paul and Barnabas was teaching was the true gospel. How important is it to have leadership in the church? How important is it to have leadership in the church? And it's not just important, it is a blessing. It is an essential blessing. We can't do this. We can't do this without leadership in the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12. And you know it, verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God, God hath set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, Governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And he goes on, to explain that even doing the works of the ministry, the chiefest thing, the most essential thing that you can have as a minister of the gospel is the agape love of God. Because no government, no uh, administration, no helps, no any kind of ministry will be effective if the animating factor if the thing that makes you do it, if the thing that empowers you to do it is not the love of God. Because that is what ministry is. That's what leadership in the body of Christ is. It is not some tyrannical authoritarianism. And I recognize that we live in a world today where there is at least in some parts of the world, a culture of distrust towards earthly authority. And listen, if you were in the early church, I guarantee you that there was a culture of distrust towards earthly authorities because the earthly authorities were coming and throwing people to lions. Now, I don't need the earthly authorities to start throwing people to lions for me to be like, whoa, hold on, stay in your lane especially when they start to try and encroach upon the church. When they try to step into places where they have no authority and they have no jurisdiction. Amen! (laughs) So, that's not that See, you need to stop taking 
And people need to stop taking their opinions about the rulership of men and applying them to the kingdom of God. Because the people that are appointed by God are not like the people that men appoint. The people that are empowered by God are not like the people that men appoint. And so keep your distrust for earthly authorities on earthly authorities. Question people's motives when their life revolves around mammon. If they don't serve God, you know who they serve. And so, yes, those which are, which are without question their motives, but recognize that leadership in the body of Christ is about love. Leadership in the body of Christ is about ministry. It does not exist to push down. It was instituted by God to lift up. For the perfecting of the saints, till we all come into the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, unto a perfect man. We are one, and our end goal is more unity, not less unity. We are powerful, and our end goal is more power, not less power. We are purified, and our end goal is more purity, not less purity. If you can't trust the leaders who God appoints, you can't trust God. And if you do not believe in the structure that Jesus himself established during his earthly ministry, then you are not a Christian until you do. Listen, either your trust is on man or your trust is on God. And you might think, oh no, I don't trust in man. But there is a man or a woman that many people in the world do trust on themselves. So you cannot trust on those which are without, but also not trust on those that are in the body of Christ. And if that's the case, the only person you're trusting in is you and not God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you know that the reason that the Lord established the church is to be a blessing to us? The reason that the Lord established the methods of ministry that he established is to be a blessing to us. And the church is an incredible thing. The church is a beautiful thing. To think that people with nothing in common in the natural could suddenly have more in common with each other than they do with anything that exists in this world. That people that were not a people could become a people. And that the Lord could fill each and every one of us with not only the ability to minister, not only the knowledge about the things of God, but the love for each other that makes that ministry worthwhile. I said this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the family of God. Why is it that the form of leadership that is referenced as a prerequisite for leading in the church is family leadership? The type of leadership that is listed as a qualification for a leader in the church 
is having his children in subjection, is having his household in order. It did not say that one of the qualifications was having a successful business. It did not say that one of the qualifications was being a leader in an earthly government. Surely you can learn how to manage by being a manager in a business. Surely you can learn how to lead by being a leader in an army or in an earthly government. But that is a different kind of leadership than leadership with your own family. Because the leadership, the training, the uplifting, the blessing, the ministry that you do in your own home is something that you do out of love to raise up a child in the way they should go. Not to preserve your own authority. Not to elevate yourself among other people. It's not a competitive leadership where you're pushing people down in order to get on top. No, it's a leadership that takes your whole family and lifts your whole family up. And leadership in the church is exactly the same way. If the apostles saw the church as such a reality that they were offended by the idea of dragging a Christian before an earthly authority to resolve your disputes, then we cannot live today as Christians and not recognize the reality of the church. We should not go looking for our authority and looking for our opinions from people out there in the world, from people that are without, because they are without. They are without the new birth. They are without the the regeneration. They are without the Holy Ghost. And we are within. We are in God. And He is in us. And if you believe that, then you have to recognize that. Hallelujah. How many of you believe that this morning? How many of you are glad to be a part of that body? How many of you are glad that you have a family that is bigger than just your family? And that we can all work to do this work of the ministry in peace and in joy with each other, lifting each other up, not tearing each other down, lifting each other up, edifying one another, and that that is the leadership that the Lord has ordained. But how many of you know that you have to believe in that leadership? You have to know that that is a real thing instituted by God, that it is righteous and that it is not the natural pride of a human being trying to lift himself up. Because that's how people look at it. They look at ministers and they go, oh, you're an apostle, you're so full of yourself. But how many of you know when God appoints you to be an apostle, it's because you are full of him. Right? Oh, you're a prophet, you're so full of yourself. How many of you know the point of a prophet is to be filled with God and to speak the words of God instead of your own words? How many of you don't want to be full of yourself? You want to be full of God. But how many of you want to be so full of God that it is not only a blessing to you, 
but it is a blessing that pours out, overflows onto all those around you so that you can lift them up and bless them. Hallelujah. That's what ministry is. And that's how we're called to live. Hallelujah. Well, if you, if you're blessed by that this morning, just stand up and give the Lord praise. Thanks for joining us on the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Join us on our other podcast, Miracles Today. Connect with us at globalrevival.com and we'll see you next week.